0: Hello, I'm Eddie Temple-Morris. And I'm Nick Hawkes. You're about to listen to episode five of Trailblazers, and our esteemed guest this time is the legendary A&R man, Mike Pickering. Uh, Mike Pickering, tremendous artist
1: as well, M people He's yes. got such a lot of amazing stuff, so many amazing stories to talk about But before we get started, uh, the usual little reminder it's, You just get a taster of the music that was significant on Mike's journey here So if you want to hear the tracks in full and believe you me, you should Head over to Deezer.com uh, and there's a bunch of playlists that Eddie and I have put together And some special stuff from our guests there also this episode
0: really highlights for me how rich this format is and how how much I love the fact that it shines a light on some characters that you think you don't know. Mm. But actually, you know, a lot of people listening to this will have interfaced with Mike in so many ways. You know, he you, you might think, oh, Mike Bickering. Oh, he was just the tall guy in M People. But. My gosh, he signed Kasabian, he signed Calvin Harris, he signed the Happy Mondays. You know, this guy is woven into the fabric of dance music culture. And with that in mind, let us begin. Deezer Originals.
2: Trailblazers. Mike Pickering.
0: Welcome, dear friends, to another episode of Trailblazers. My name is Eddie Temple-Morris, and by my side, as ever, XL and Positiva Records founder Nick Hawkes. Together, each time we light a warm and friendly fire and invite another dance music legend, like Nick, to chat to us by the fireside to talk about the cultural fires they started and to play some of the tunes that soundtrack their fascinating lives. This week's fire starter, if you will, is Mike Pickering, celebrated resident of the Hacienda, founder of Deconstruction Records, the tall one to them people and current a and to Calvin Harris no, and Kasabian no, no, no. Mike welcome to Trailblazers I thought you were going to
3: say the good looking one
0: <laughs> well tall and good looking are interchangeable Mike so lovely to see you and, and yeah, yeah you too as I light the fire um, I'll hand over to uh, to my colleague Nick to fire the first question at you
3: excellent so don't, you. don't use fire lighters no we won't no, we no. won't
1: thank you thanks for coming to join us yeah, pleasure, well, brilliant, pleasure. Uh, brilliant to have you in um, and uh, yeah as Eddie said you've had a you've had a, such a lot of success both as an artist and uh and as a behind the scenes person guiding other artists so first question what advice would you give to someone who's sat out there now they're listening to this and they want to be the next calvin harris what, what should they be doing well
3: if they want to be the next calvin harris uh, writing songs right. or writing tracks <laughs> and believing in that track and not listening to what anyone tells you Listen to your heart, mm. um, because you know you'll speak. You, well, you might speak to lots of A and R man and lots of people like that. They don't have a clue what's going to be a hit. <laughs> <laughs> they go with the heart as well. They yes. should go with. I, I've always gone with my heart. Yes, um, and of course things are more
1: data driven now. So
3: yes, it's, is it viewed? Do you think it's a bit old fashioned? Yeah, just trust your gut. Well, you know, I know that A and R departments have young young people sat at desks uh, analysing data, and that's fine. I'm sure there are artists that you would sign when you saw, you know, that they got lots of streams because they were played on, I don't know, Beats or this or that yeah. or this yeah. blog. Or That's fine. I think that, that is a, that's a part of it that you can't really um, ignore. Hmm. But I also think that they will never leave the art of A&R in to have someone... With good ears, who goes? That's great. Yeah, I'll and, and you know, a lot's about timing. Yes, you yes. know, I mean, when I when I sang Calvin, mm. a lot of people thought he was like a novelty act at first because I mean, you know, the, the first songs were like "I Like All the Girls" and yeah. acceptable in, in the eighties. Yeah. 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 yeah, but he did have a lot of great songs. And and that, I signed him at a time when, to be honest, it was like the second wave of um, Britpop was coming to an end, mm. and it was saturated and and and. I remember I was at BMG at the time before it merged with Sony and they were all salivating over this band called Jolene and the Jing Jang Jongs and I thought, oh man, this is really poor. You know what I mean? Yeah, I remember And I, that. And I heard Calvin and yeah. it was like a breath of fresh air in the middle yes. of all this just... Yeah. Britpop dirge really by the, by the time it had got there and, and that worked because yeah. he actually, by the time it got to... Um, the beginning of the second album, mm. I'm not alone, which was like a kind of an early '90s rave record. Yes, everyone was like, "Oh wow, this is great!" And this, I need this. This is a change. So I always think the stars have got to align as well. Yeah, there's a lot of luck involved. Um But um yeah, I think you've got th- those things really. Just just do what you do. So, so and I also I'd uh, yeah. say don't don't give up your day job. <laughs> <laughs> a, lo- a, lo- a lot of them these <laughs> days, a lot of the young kids these days, they think, right, I, I want this. I need money to. C- I mean, when we were in bands and when we were artists and, when, you know, I, well, I DJ to, to pay my yeah, way, um, yeah. but you know, and I remember like bands have signed that when they sign the thing, the, the, the contract and get their advance and, you know, they're about to go out tour and make an album. They go, right, I better go and quit my job now. Mm. You know, um, I think that's quite important. Yeah. See, gee, gee. Do you, do you think that if I could just interject for one
0: second, I'm interested in, in the whole, the art of A&R and, and, and mm. wanted to, to, to postulate with you, it, is it a lost art now? Like insofar as there's so many records being made the non-traditional way, you know, I mean, just in bedrooms and, and yeah. kind of without anyone involved, and 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 I think back to the you know, great those great A and R guys that were real sort of guiding fatherly figures that really had huge hearts. No, so they no, went no, with the, think, James I, I, I the James Lavelles exactly, and the James
3: Endicott, exactly. Yeah, and, and yeah. Well, I worked with Endicott for a while. I, I love James, um, but um, they. Um, No, I think they're still around, you know, because when you think about it, yes, you do have a lot of stuff, Men in bedrooms, but you've also, you know, the success, some of the success stories internationally in the last year or two, people like say Sam Smith, yeah, who, you know, Jimmy Napier wrote a lot of it. There's a lot of different people have been, and that was really well a and R'd by Nick Nick Raphael, yeah. Although thinking about that, he's old school like me, yeah. (laughs) So yeah, that's so. There's still records to be made and people to be put in rooms with other writers and mm. visions to be had mm. um, you know there's also a lot of stuff like you say that is made in bedrooms played in clubs and you know look let's face it we've we, all of us have been in dance music for, for a long time and the ultimate test for any record or track we ever made was that moment you put it on the turntable and play it and see what the crowd rea- how it reacts. Yeah. So you know, I, I think that's like that modern equivalent of that. Yeah. But I think there's still an art in in A and R, definitely, definitely.
1: So, so before we sort of scroll back and, and and get to the to the beginning and your your entry point into music, um, so what are you lo- looking? you know for then and and uh, in in new emergent artists and and how how do you find New talent. So it sounds like you're not somebody who's you're not scrolling through Twitter and. No. S-
3: I scroll through Twitter. I follow comedians and football journalists actually.
1: <laughs> and some of them, some of them probably have, have have the same talents. <laughs>
3: yeah, some of the comedians are great on there. Really okay. you, can, you, can just, you can take the boy out of Manchester, <laughs> but. um... But I do no. There's a few on Twitter that like of Best Fit and people like that I'll follow, and 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 obviously it's DJs and people who have radio shows and yeah, you know. But um, listen, for me it's always been about just hearing something and going, oh, that's amazing.
1: Yeah. From whichever route, so you could From be which, a geek ever, or something. Well, I first heard making...
3: Calvin. The, the story with Calvin was quite funny because a, uh, um, a publisher was calling me, and um. He had, I think, girls or one of those early, early demos yeah. playing in his office. He must have been listening to it while well, either I've called him or he's called me. And as he was talking away, I went, Hang on a minute, what's that? <laughs> and he said, Oh, I don't know. I had to take it anyway, Oh, it's Calvin Harris. I said, It's brilliant. Fantastic!
1: It was on the in the background. Yeah, when, in an
3: when, you ha- when you're having a a telephone conversation. Right, so Well, they're big enough, aren't they? <laughs> so he said, um, "Oh well, I know, I know who manages him. It's two guys in Kent, Andy and Dean, and, and another guy in Scotland, Mark Gillespie." I was like, "I've got to meet him." So the, I got the number. I called them, and they went, "Ah, oh, they knew who I was because they were they were from the dance world, right?" Yeah. So, which was my lucky break so I said Mm. well well, I've got to talk to him he went well we're we're just on our way back into London to go and sign with Gut Records yes I was like I've I've got to meet you so I I, I had to jump in the car we were in Putney in those days and drive to Victoria Station I think it was Victoria Station where they came in from Kent yeah and then I met him outside Costa Coffee on Victoria Station and had 25 minutes with Calvin yeah and uh and, and then went so look make your, make your own mind up and um, then they phoned me a bit later and I went yeah we want to sign with you Amazing. so I was like great fortunately I I've, I met the guy from IMS a couple of years ago and I didn't know what to say he <laughs> <laughs> was great as well he went <laughs> So, you met him at Victoria's. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm really sorry. Oh, oh. <laughs>
0: You're gazumped.
3: Yeah. Oh, it's like your, your dream house. Yes. Getting yeah. us on to that. But, um, oh. you know, so it, it, it's never the same. Uh, the Ting Tings, yeah. I heard, I don't know how I got that, but I heard a link to that's not my name. Mm. And um, I couldn't find anything about them except that they lived in this mill in Manchester called Islington Mill. So I got the first train down. I didn't take any overnight oh. clothes. And stood outside trying to get in. I said, I've got to meet these guys, the Ting Tings. <laughs> right. <laughs> and in the end, Jules from the Ting Tings came out and he went, Who wants to meet the Ting Tings? No one knows who we are. And I went, I don't know, Mike Pickering. And he went, Ah, oh, I know you are. Yeah. <laughs> and we went drinking for the day. And there uh, was another one. And there was you? another one. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like, right. so what I'm trying to say is, it's really on the spur of the moment for me. It's like, brilliant yeah. it's heart over head isn't it, it? Is, it's really. always heart over head. and listen heart's been broken a few times there's been quite a few things mm. that I think of that I've signed that I've absolutely loved that you know yeah. uh, you know I was studying as Morris said he's standing in front of a bus for but yeah. they've not made it and mm. it's sometimes it's timing I signed this band from Norway called Lorraine who were three guys and it was like kind of electronic, beautiful pop music a bit like the Pesh Mode and uh it just didn't happen, and then they kind of went back to Norway, and and you know were dropped by the record company. And about a twelve months later, um, the Killers put out Human when they went all electronic, and we were all like. This was Lorraine. This was exactly yeah, what. I it was, yeah, I remember Lorraine actually. Yeah, and, and yeah, you were well, well, right. Well, Axwell did a few mixes and a few. Yeah. It, they were great. They yeah. were yes. wonderful. Stuart Price. Ste- or Stuart yeah. Price. Yeah. Stuart Price, coming as the killers. Exactly. It was exactly that. Yeah. So it's like twelve months out, eighteen months uh-huh. out. So there's things like that.
1: So, so look, let's rewind a lot. W- w- tell us a little bit about when you were a kid and when you first encountered the power of music. Uh, well.
3: I mean, I had, uh, like, my mum and dad were into music anyway, mm. uh, but, and then I had an old, older sister who was into it. Um, she used to listen to, like, Sam Cooke and the Drifters and all that. So I was really little. But my first, the first th- thing that I think that I loved was about 13, 14 years old when I heard Motown. Yes. I, I just. I mean, t- t- for me, it's still the greatest record label that's ever been. And was, uh, th- at that point that you were 12 or 13, was Motown like the well, hot? It, well, it was actually Tamla Motown then. Yeah, it was like the hot... Well, it was just beginning, yeah. Just, I mean, okay. the Supremes just had a number one and, and Temptations and Four. By the time I was 16, that's all we listened to. Um, it was also Invictus at that time, which was a breakaway, was with Holland Dozier Holland, I think, right. wasn't it? And uh, Chairman of the Board and Frida Payne and... And all those kind of records. but And um, I remember we used to go to um, the Odeon on Oxford Road in Manchester and they used to have three or four Motown acts um, of, an e- of a Saturday evening over mm. a, a period, which was quite amazing because I remember seeing Stevie Wonder and Temptations, Four Tops, Super... When oh, you uh, were, like, 13,
1: six, 16 s-
3: Between 14 and 16. OK. Because I was too young to get into the Twisted Wheel. I had um, oh. an older kind of half-cousin, Phil Sachs, who actually took over from me at Factory. Right. And was the first manager of Happy Mondays who brought Happy Mondays to me. Right, we'll talk about that later, so that's yeah. a, that was a kind of a family thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um yeah, I was too young to get in there, but they were amazed. They had a massive influence on me. Yeah. Um, okay, and... I think they had, a, the biggest influence they had was that they were like three minutes, 15 seconds, but per, the perfect pop song. Hmm and great dancing and great vocals and yeah perfect
1: and is there a particular and there rec-
3: ghetto ghetto songs weren't
1: yeah is there a particular record that you'd like to give a spin off to just
3: yeah well I mean, like I, a, I mean there's i mean there's so many of them that I, I love but um the way you do things you do by the temptations the temptations were like phew, amazing for me
2: trailblazers
0: we with Mike Pickering on the Trailblazers, and you, you were talking about uh, your sort of pivotal first records, and, and you talk about great musicianship and great vocals. Were you? I, I listened to a record like Great that Lyrics, I, I, yeah. And I, I hear the band. You know, I, yeah. I, I just recently watched that uh, the document, the Wrecking Crew documentary, oh, which is just amazing. so brilliant. And yeah. you, you're, off, I'm, I'm all about the unsung heroes, and yeah. I hear a record like that, uh, like the, the, the way well, you do. Well, it's it all, all about the writers, yeah, the
3: artists with the vehicles.
0: So, so did yeah. you were you listening to that record? Just just purely you know just loving it on face value or did you actually think you know what I think I might want to do this
3: no no not in those days because you was just I was like living in a city Manchester and you weren't you weren't and I'm also I'm Catholic, Catholic schooling. You weren't taught that you could do anything like that. <laughs> you had no self esteem. Yeah, but you um, didn't crop up on careers day. No, uh, oh, like, no. Like to be an A man and Hot a pop star, a DJ. No, yeah. do you want to be a priest? No, well, you're getting nowhere. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, but I mean, the, I mean, those lyrics in that song are just incredible. You know, they're like, you know. You you could have been a broom. You swept me off my feet. I mean, it's just they're just the perfect songs for me. Mm. In fact, I I tried when when I started and and all through the write my writing career with them people, it was Motown that I just had in my mind all the time really. That, and obviously, I never emulated those kind of lyrics, but mm. you wanted to that, capture the emotion. Yeah, and, the, and and we were a bit like that. at Deconstruction, yeah. really. That's what we wanted to do. Mm. You know, art and rubbish for the dancing masses. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, speaking about the dancing masses, I'm interested to know the first time you found yourself in the midst of a, a dancing mass.
3: Well, we, we we used to, you know, youth clubs were the place where places where 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 we used to go and dance. Mm. Um, and there was kind of two. When I was growing up, there was two types of youth. There was like hippie, kind of what well, we used to call them, the hairies, and they used to like. You know, King Crimson and Led Zeppelin, and and, and that that was cool. You know, they were generally kind of from a better class of neighbourhood than okay. us, and we were like, you know, I suppose what they call scallies now, but you know, we used to wear really nice clothes, mm-hmm. and, you know, brogues and two tone suits and all that kind of stuff. And we mm-hmm. used to like to go and Ben Shermans, and we used to like to go to youth clubs and dance, and um, also. I really loved Northern Soul Phil Sachs, who I mentioned earlier um, he was a DJ at the Twisted Wheel in Manchester which was the most famous of Northern Soul clubs and he used to come to to our house because um, he was like they married my cousin and um, just play me these great songs which were the same as, as the Motown songs do were three minutes of like uh, great melodic uh, tracks and um uh, so I couldn't get in. The, you couldn't get in the place in um, sorry, Twisted Wheel because they were really strict on the door. Mm. Uh, and I got in once. They had that woman on the door who was a tyrant. Um, so you you went to Wigan Casino just once? once. Yeah, it was amazing.
1: That's like me with Paradise Garage. <laughs> really? <laughs> just once. I was
0: just interested to know culturally, just from you know, point in. of view of somebody that was born in Cardiff
3: <laughs> and raised in London. Who who were they not letting in? Like when you say they were Draconian uh, age, on the door? Age, it was age. Ah, okay. It was an age thing, because I was only like 16 at that time. Uh, but where you could get in was the Highland Room at uh, Blackpool Mecca. Yes. And Dave Godden and Colin Faber, all those, no, not Colin Faber. Colin Curtis and yeah, all those people yeah. used to uh, play there. Um, and that was amazing. So it was like a big night out. It would be on till really quite late and then you'd have to wait for the first train home. Yes. So yes. you'd go down and freeze on the beach. And how old, <laughs> how old were you then when you were... In- I was about 17 then. Right. And that uh, must have been... Oh, it mind-blowing. You could stand on the balcony at the um, at the Highland Room and it was a sprung dance floor, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it was just an amazing view to see everyone like... Bobbing up and down, dancing. Yeah. You know what I mean? In that kind of northern soul way. That yeah. the film that, that Ellen Constantine did this this year was 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 very accurate, actually. Yes. A Bit dark, but very accurate. Yeah. If you take away the the story, you know the, yeah. the narrative, it was really accurate film.
1: And so then, <clears> when <throat> you were in that environment, was that was that a point where you started to think, hey, maybe I can or not or still? Yeah, not yeah. All,
3: all I was interested in was buying. Singles, seven-inch singles, yeah, and sourcing them and buying them. And in, I remember in those days, you know, there was no shows like like Eddie or Pete Tong or well, anyone. No internet, I should
1: point well, out. No, of no,
3: there was there was one show on. Now would that be the Light Programme or Radio One? I suppose it's a Light Programme because it becomes before it on a Sunday night for maybe 30 minutes something like that there was a guy on there who played a few new records
0: and that was your lot Was that was your (laughs)
3: lot you used to buy (laughs) was
0: there not even like a pirate like did Caroline
3: not exist or any of those pirate ships no I think they'd already gone by that time right and, and they didn't play that kind of stuff. They would no. play stuff that was chart bound. Yeah, contemporary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Contem- yeah. yeah. But, but, but but also blues and soul was a big a big thing for us. The magazine, the magazine. we used yes. to buy blues and soul, and then you'd
0: be like sort of
3: sweatily palmed waiting yeah. for, for it to arrive. And Dave Godden was like like the, the, of- the guru. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. You,
0: you mentioned never give up your day job. What, what what were you doing in order to finance this obsession oh. with seven inch singles? Then
3: well, I left school really early, and and to get my first scooter. I um, <laughs> I worked at Mac Fisheries <laughs> breaking up ice to put on the so that went on like the displays where they put all the fish and then gutting fish used to stink do you know I, it was funny enough it coincided with a period where I really couldn't pull women
1: do you know? <laughs> do you know what other music industry Don has a similar story on his CV? Rod Temperton
3: really he used to used to work wrote, in the fish the processing. processing. Yes, I've heard, the, I've heard the in,
1: think... in Hull.
3: Yeah. The same thing. Well, was... I'll tell you, uh, Martin Fry is a great friend of mine from ABC. He works in the pea factory in Sheffield. What's it called? Bachelors. Right. And, what in the peas in the cans? We all used to have jobs, oh. and then I worked at uh, anything: window cleaning, building sites. Anything just to get money to, to buy yeah. records and, and keep my scooter looking good and buy the clothes, yeah. Wow, <laughs> wow. So, so you're there at the Highland Room. What what records? Well, I remember you used to have those plastic, uh, like record boxes, yes. So, we, there was a lot of house parties in those days, yeah. uh, and it was almost a given that me and my friend Nick Chambers would just be walking to. So we'd be in the corner and we'd be putting the records on and dancing. Did you, you consider you yourself? Because we had more yeah. than did, yeah. did you
1: consider yourself a DJ at that
3: point? Well, you or didn't really or did know you... What, a DJ in those days. Yeah, not really. Yeah, you no. were just the
1: person was, who happened to have the. Teams. Yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah, the DJ. Was just, wasn't a thing, was it? No, it was you just, wasn't.
3: You a thing. had more records than I anybody
1: had
0: the else, records. so
3: you would put them on. It's Plus, just simple, Plus simple I could mathematics. Be, I was the one who could be bothered bringing them to the party. Okay, so yeah. So, yeah, uh, so yeah, I obviously was totally into that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, that's amazing that you, you were a DJ even before DJing existed. <laughs> you were just the man that puts on the records <laughs> at a party. Sounds like it should be the record player at the front of the Flintstones, isn't
1: <laughs> it?
0: <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Wilma!
1: Go and play us a record from from that era, Mike. Well,
3: uh, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, I ripped off a few friend people, actually. But but, um, I think they'll be great out on the floor. He's like the classic of that era.
2: Trailblazers, Mike Pickering. I'm really on tonight.
0: We get chatting to you on these records and then we're castrated because the records are just so perfectly short. Short, <laughs> short and sweet. So, um, Dobie Gray, that's going to remind many people listening and, uh, and Mike Pickering, our, uh, our guest this week, that's probably going to flash you back to the, the smell of the combination yeah. of lino flooring and talcum powder. Yes. And very baggy pants. Yeah. <laughs> Talcum
3: powder, especially—that was a weird one, wasn't it?
0: Well, this is all something well, that were... happened to you, to other people. It never happened to me, so it's really it's lovely getting you know your your window into that.
1: We we know that you were the man with the records, but were you a dancer as well? I love. Were the,
3: you more I, of an observer? I love dancing, but I mean, not not the old backflips and nah. the splits. No, I I, <laughs> I I couldn't do any of that. Okay, um, but I but I did like do the northern skip. You know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Skips but not splits. Yes.
0: Yeah. Can't split. Won't yeah. split. No. No. no so no. well. So Nick talked about you being uh, an observer, uh, or, or or and sometimes a participator yeah. and, and uh, a very enthusiastic one. So, what was your entry point into actually being a participant um, in music? What was the? What was? The, was there a tipping point for you when you thought, yeah,
3: you know, I, I can do this, or yeah. I want to be, I want to be involved? Well, in well this. up till like mid 70s i suppose or early 70s i'm, I'm not very really good on years but I, I only really listened to to black music i wasn't I, there was nothing that interested me outside of black music until david bowie right and then i heard david bowie all of it and we all went oh wow oh wow there's something special about this guy and it was so rebellious and you know it, 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 was, it was dressed like a uh, what we dressed like a girl, yeah. you know, and and, and, and um, <laughs> uh, and it just blew me away, yeah, you know. So I really got into him, yeah, uh, and through him, got into Lou Reed, and through Lou Reed, got into Velvet Underground mm. and the sound of Detroit, you know, MC5, all that kind of stuff, yeah. um, and did quite a bit of catching up on you know, Wayne Kramer and uh, you, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but then of course, that led up to 1977 and punk and that completely changed the way that i thought and everyone thought because mates were picking up guitars learning three chords and forming bands so you know it was just All you a, needed it was amazing and uh people were finally standing up like john lydon and going these are real boring guys who's you know cuz you'd get prog rock before that guys that do 30 minute guitar solos and yes. you just stand there thinking well i haven't i, haven't, yeah. I have no connection with that whatsoever <laughs> mm. you know um so, so that changed everything, and, and Manchester and London were the epicenters of it, right? right. right. And so, the, how, and how did that change you? Um, it changed me because it was I, I was able to kind of be in 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 the scene and be part of it and um were you in a, a band punk uh, band, i or had or a, did you? no uh, but um I, I managed a band for a bit called fireplace and we did we released <laughs> one track <laughs> brilliant okay. i know we released one track on this coll- man uh, band on the wall collective album okay so i cut my teeth there but then martin fry um from abc and myself um who i, I grew up with martin we, we um, you know, fanzines were really big then. Um, um, J- we, just checking, so were you mates as kids? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You well, no, from about 14, Sheffield? yeah. Because he was Sheffield? No, he was from Manchester, but he went to university in Sheffield. Ah, I see, right, OK. He, he defected. OK. Um, so, um, so, we... And you're still mates with him, though? Yeah, yeah, we, we cycled together. Um, okay. But he, he um, we, we set up a magazine called uh, Modern Drugs, and... Uh, And I did the first ever uh, Joy Division um, review in it. Really? Okay. And some years before, I'd met Rob Gretton, who was manager of Joy Division, um, at at Man City away game. We were both Man City fans, and we were being chased by skinheads at a Nottingham Forest game. Um, and we ended up hiding in a bush in this old woman's garden and when they'd gone into
1: music yeah when we'd
3: gone he just went Rob Gretton Withenshaw and I went Mike Pickering Stockport (laughs) and it was the beginning of a very 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 long beautiful friendship it's like a scene out of This Is England oh yeah it it was and um, and um. He saw it And I, 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 went, I was just following this band around Because I'd i been going to the Electric Circus Which you know There was the Pistols Ramones Clash Jam And supporting the Ramones That was amazing Because one night Supporting the Ramones This band came on They were all wearing The singers were wearing a Fred Perry shirt And they sang Take Me to the River Al Green And I was like These were amazing It was a talking Heads. Oh, wow. Right. You know, just one of their first gigs in a little club. Wow, that's <laughs> uh, fantastic. And, what a and, moment. Know, stuff, yeah, television, all those kind of bands. Yeah. So, you know, you could go out all week in Manchester and just see great bands. And um, and you were there at exactly the right, right time. time. I'm so jealous. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit younger
0: than you. And so, and I, yeah. so I missed all that. You know, know, I came it, into it, post-punk. It, it was know. an
3: incredible, incredible time. Martin and I went to everything. But Rob, I saw Rob... Because he was DJing at Rafter's, and he went, "I've read that thing in that fancy, and it's great. You should hang around with us more." And and uh, and so that you know, I became part of Factory, uh, and uh, the whole family, and 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 I I moved in with Rob. um, So we, we, you know, we lived in this house in Charlton, and. You, all you through say, everything
1: happening. You, you say you became part of Factory, but you, you what? Did, you didn't have a job description, you just no. started turning up No one until had a job they, description
3: of Factory. <laughs> the, the little and then you just kept
1: turning up until they. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I, I did
3: everything. I mean, I used to... Rob couldn't drive and he bought a car, <laughs> so I used to drive that to gigs. And you used to
1: roadie Joy division Not Not really, no. I used to
3: roadie Rob. Which right. meant driving him to gigs and skinning up for him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> to okay. be, but to be really brutally. Yeah, funny. okay. But yeah, I was kind of part, it was almost like I was part of the Joy Division and New Order because of that. Right. That? Uh, and, and also, you know, um, but then in 1980, I think it was, when the scene, the punk scene started telling off, I went to Holland. Uh, because, I don't know, some from, somebody from Manchester was, said you can get jobs here, just like washing up in restaurants and all that. So I went out there, and I started a band there called Quando Quango.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah.
3: Yeah. So... Oh, Christ, that was you. Yeah. And and at that time there, it was really weird. Rotterdam was like this magnet for like... You know, there was Tuxedo Moon, James White and the Blacks, uh, Arto Lindsay and DNA. Oh, God, yes. All those American No Wave acts. Arto with, with, Lindsay. They were rocking up to Rotterdam and staying there. So this guy said to me right there's this disused waterworks and there's these people who've squatted the water tower there and you can have the hall it's called hall, hall 3 hall 4 if you you know you lads want to get it together so we spent about two weeks scraping pitching shit off it because it was derelict uh, so the guys there built a stage for us. we had a generator and we started putting on nights Um, I, I, that was when I really started DJing properly because I was the DJ there and we had I we, we do wonderful posters advertising it silkscreen posters Rotterdam Must Dance and, and I through contacts I got like the second New Order gig after Ian died and uh, Captain Beef and the, human, the first Human League gig after they split into Heaven 17 and the Human you know like just right. we, we had like Factory nights on there, everything. So um, you
1: were you were
3: uh, a promoter, formed, and, promoter uh, DJ, everything. There was yeah. about 10, and I formed Quando Quango yes. a Dutch girl. And uh, when you Order played, Rob Gretton said, "You've got to come home." I was like, "Why? It's great, <laughs> you know." <what> I mean? <laughs> no, you've got to come because I want to open a club. Uh, and I was like, "Oh, all right." And um, I was thinking about it and then you used to have to have a stamp in your passport in those days yes yeah. even if you you know and uh, they threw me out <laughs> I thought well my mind's made up now <laughs> right yeah because so uh, you... because um, they want because the council it was a long story but they yeah. basically we would made this place successful and the council wanted to take it over yeah so um, I came home and, and lived with Rob and um, I said yeah but I've got to carry on my band Kwando Kwango that I started here he went yeah we'll put it out on factory and the first release was Love Tempo Which people in England, well, the media, the NME, absolutely slaughtered. But in New York, they absolutely loved it. Yeah. And it was unbelievable. So we went and we did a PA with Larry LeVan at Paradise Garage. Yeah. Went to the Fun House and the Roxy and... To, and Your first trip to America. First was it? trip to America okay.
0: completely blew my mind. Right, and this was the beginning of how of Chicago house music. Well, and um, right? New York house. music. Um, yeah. you know,
3: uh, it was electro was really big then. Right, like the double dutch thing. Yeah, uh, of course. Yeah, Arthur Baker. And, of course, uh, in New York. And, yeah, the whole street wave. The, the, uh, yeah, the, the, to 6? Before that before that 83 yeah I'd say it was 82, 82, 82 83, 83 84. Okay. it was the golden era of New York yeah 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 and uh, I met Mark Caymans, who was the DJ at the Dance Interior who, who was my, became my mentor for the because basically I was walking in these places and Mark was playing like Man Parish or uh, some or Soul Sonic Force but in the middle of it he'd play a New Order you know mix it with the New Order record yeah. or a, uh, I remember him mixing it with Dan Dudley who was on Rough Trade and and um, Stuff like that. And you're like, I can't believe this. It's just playing everything. It's yeah. not using a microphone. Yeah. And it's like, this is just amazing. And um, yeah. that was at the same time we were thinking of opening the club. So I, really, I, you know, a New Order were also over there at the same time. So our whole thing was coming back and going, we want this scene in Manchester. This is what we want. Right, right.
0: Now, you just said we- a really interesting wow. thing, which was... No microphone. Because up until that point, oh. of course, DJs had microphones. Yeah, they did. And and they it were, was all, that was the smooth sound. Yeah. Of the, of, do you know what I mean? just oh. a, how oh. nauseating is that? First, first girl
3: up here with a pair of knickers gets <laughs> a free <laughs> bottle of bubbly. You know, like yes. rubbish. Yes. Birthday you know. shouts. I
0: remember Birthday when shouts. they were
3: building the um, DJ booth at the Hacienda, I think you could take the mic out on it, take that out, I don't want that. And then when, uh, when I was, because at first I was hiring DJs, I did all the the promoting, the hiring, the and the coming. Where's the mic? Not got one. <laughs> Why? I don't want you talking to anyone. That's right. You tore.
0: This is this is a famous story, isn't it? Yeah. That, you, that your first executive decision was to tear the microphone, yeah, the microphone out of the booth. Out <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well,
3: working for people like New Order and Factory was a dream because you could do that. Yeah, they loved that.
1: So, know? were you kind of in that early hacienda phase at the same time as you were kind of? signing records to factory
3: yeah, yeah. I mean um, so what sort of things well, were the you first things signing I, well the first things I signed were uh, James right uh, because oh, wow. they came in and uh, there, were, there wasn't a lot of people who came to the Hacienda at the beginning but they all, all the people who did had come to either university or had come to Manchester because of the Hacienda they, they'd actually heard about it yeah, and it was a meeting place for like m- like-minded people. So James were actually they actually just collect glasses, you know, glass collectors. Uh, Tim and uh, the others. So. They Can I it. just
1: say you say Tim the glass collector that's what Tim Westwood used to do at Gossips Good God. Go- Tim really? Westwood was the glass the collector
3: The Star Roses did it at the International yeah. Did they? They were yeah. glass collectors They were glass also. collectors yeah. Gossips in
0: Dean Street yeah. where the bat Cave was oh, That's God. right yeah, yeah. <laughs> even, <laughs> I really, even I know that one <laughs> Tim Westwood's
1: first thing Wow <laughs> Collecting the glasses there
3: anyway uh, And so the, the yeah them and then Phil Sachs comes back in the picture and, and said uh, I've because He had a by this time he had a, a stall on the underground market in the Arndale selling. He said, I'm I'm making up this new youth thing. I was like, What? He went, Well, I've, I've had this woman, I bought all these jeans, I've had this one make them into like certain type of flair and baggy jumpers and goatee beards. And he was basically at the beginning of like scallies and, mm. and baldrics and all yeah. that. He said, And there's these lads hanging around, they've got this music, see what you think of it. And I played this cassette, I was like, It's brilliant so we went to see them and they hardly had any equipment and everything it was in a club uh, like a pub in Salford dead rough yeah I was like they're brilliant I love them you know and um so I signed them oh, I went going to Tony Tony Wilson and going yeah is this band uh calling happy mondays he went darling if you like them sign them <laughs>
2: <laughs> I said,
3: don't you mean. want to see them? He went rob will see them <laughs> so we put them on with new order and um yeah and you know the, and i signed the mondays i produced the first ep actually which was hilarious because we were in this studio in Berry, and they didn't want to leave because they'd never seen anywhere as posh They had a pool <laughs> table and a telly to live there yeah yeah they, they stayed overnight yeah yeah Wow.
1: Okay, <laughs> Look, let's let's hear a bit of music from the Happy Mondays then. So, uh,
3: well, what? I mean, there's a few things. You know, Step on ob- is obviously famous, um, and, and you know, the 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 sound of Paul Oakenfold and Steve Osborne, what they did to them was massive. Yeah. But I think Hallelujah has just got something special about those times. Yeah, so, Hallelujah.
2: Trailblazers. <laughs>
0: I'm loving that, man. Happy Monday. So um, can I just say that uh, doing this Trailblazers thing, and I knew this was going to happen, on a personal level, I really, really love this. But it it is a real, it's a real education for someone like me, because um, in all honesty, Mike, I knew you as a a Hacienda resident. And I knew you, of course, as M people. I've interviewed you in the past probably a couple of times. But I had no idea that, for example, you had—you know—you were Calvin Harris's A&R guy right. and Casabian's and, and A&R guy, and that you'd that you'd sign the Happy Mondays, and that you'd form Quango Quango. You know, you're such a. This is what this thing, this whole show is about. It's the unsung heroes, and it's it's a real education into the actual trailblazer. So I'm really. Uh,
3: as you probably gathered I'm shy.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, you know, but we're we're here to we're here to shout from to the rooftops. To coax it out. Know, so, yeah, yeah. well, I mean, joking apart, and we we will go into the more, the more obvious things about the Happy Mondays. But I um I just wanted to say, like this this is a real kind of la- line in the sand in music th- th- this band and you're signing them and you you're helping presumably to A&R them. And was this not historically? Um, a fascinating time because this was. Correct me if I'm wrong. The first time that a DJ had been asked to produce a record yeah. by a band, yeah, which is now of course commonplace. Yeah,
3: but also that was it was the it first was, one, wasn't it? It was. It was a fusion of two types genres of music in what well, indie, if you want to call it indie yeah. guitar music and dance floor. Um, um, you know, Paul Oakenfold and I were, we're, we're very close around that time. We. Um, you know, Spectrum in London and, and the Hacienda, there was a kind of a, an, a kinship between the two. And actually, Paul and I did the Hacienda tour of America in 89 around this time. Which, I've
1: got the T-shirt, actually. Yeah, it's home. a great T-shirt. <laughs> great but, T-shirt.
3: I mean, we were talking about, I saw him in, in, in uh, L.A. last week and... Um, <clears throat> And everyone was so bemused by us; they didn't have a clue what was happening, how things have changed in America. You know, I mean, we just. But it, but so, you so, know, I produced the first album, yeah. uh, first EP, yeah, which is very kind of indie and stuff. And and Nate and and Phil Sachs had stopped managing them by this time, and and Nathan McGough was managing, and and we to fuse the music. We you know the the the, the 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 Mondays were kind of born out of the hacienda. And there had to be a you know, there had to be a fusion of these two types of music. That that the music that Sean and, and and the boys were into was like slang the family stone to electro to house, you know. Yeah. So um Paul and uh Steve Osborne were made started started to do quite a lot of uh, remixes at that time. And they always had this great role in bass and beats and we decided that was the thing to do, you know. Let's give it a go. And I can't remember the first. They, they just did a remix, and it was so great that we're like, "Well, you should be, you should produce." Because before that, we'd had John Cale, who oh, Phil yeah. Saxon and I could hardly even speak. I mean, John Cale in in Strawberry Studios, and he came out of it and went. I hate them because <laughs> they're doing so many drugs in his studio, yeah, and he couldn't, couldn't get them to work. And he yeah. just, went, I hate these guys, you know. And um, you know, we, we tried lots. Um, you know, um, Martin Hannah, of course, produced them, but the magic came when Paul and uh, Steve Osborne produced them because it was it, it captured the zeitgeist at that moment completely. And do you think that just on an obvious level it, that they were used
0: to people being really unprofessional in a professional environment well
3: by that time you see uh we were all being purposely unprofessional (laughs) because we were all in the summer of love and we didn't give a shit and all we wanted to do was get high and love music you know and uh tear up the rule books yeah so it fitted perfectly to be honest
1: and did did Tony Wilson lead this agenda then when you're there at factory is he saying no Tony
3: Tony loved Tony loved anything anarchic right Uh, so he he did encourage you know the the Hacienda is actually taken from a situationist review the Hacienda Mm. must be built Mm. Um, the the quote that was on all our things is from Italian anarchists um, Mm. pamphlet Hmm. that's where it came from so um, and and but he loved it, yeah, and, and and all of a sudden, you know, from being, from, darling, if you like them, sign them. He's like, actually, Mike, these are amazing, you know. <laughs> and uh, then, of course, the whole Manchester thing came through the media, uh, which was very strange for us because, you know, we were just getting invaded every weekend. Uh, the whole of, like, the Northern Quarter in Manchester by... Camera crews. It's like one of these (laughs) anthropological. Camera crews from all over the world. Yeah. (laughs) I wanted to interview and interviewing people in the street with. identity t-shirts and you know and in spiral carpets moo t-shirts and you know floppy hats and-
0: <laughs> yeah. you, you used uh, you used the word Baldricks yes as a as a, as a co- collective noun yeah. which is one of the funniest well, we things fed that, we fed
3: that to, to ID and said oh there's this big new movement called the Baldricks <laughs> and we got little Martin and Cresser who later danced for the uh, and they bought it up line and sinker yeah. oh, I'm just
0: pissing myself <laughs> they did myself. three
3: pages on it <laughs>
0: Baldricks <laughs>
3: Yes. Oh God. It's a new movement. Amazing. Oh. And luckily, they didn't ask how many were in the movement because it was only Cresser and Little Martin.
1: <laughs> so you mentioned about the Happy Mondays and the, the amount of drugs that were being consumed in the studio. Yeah. Were, were these guys, you know, is it hot, hard work? Or was it challenging day-to-day?
3: No, not of? at that time. Right. Only, in, only as it wore on and the drugs got darker, right? Then it was so the
1: front end then it was, was
3: terrible. The front end was fun and it yeah. was all cool and everybody was yeah. Just it's almost it. like any mm. any any film this in it where yeah. you know it as it, it's high moment and then it disintegrates. Mm. Yeah, and it did disintegrate. You know when when. Heroin and stuff came on the scene. Well, yeah, yes. Yeah. So I
0: presume segueing from 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 ecstasy and a bit, a bit of coke to the to the darker stuff. It's then, not the best route. Of course, it's been the ruination of many of our favourite yes, bands yeah. and, and artists and and, and and lives. Yeah, it was a shame.
1: And you were you were still were you dealing day to day with the band well, as, no, as, as
0: those darker times
1: kind yeah, of came about?
3: Yeah, listen, and, and you know I used to go on DJ with them, and I remember one night in Paradiso that. It, and I DJ'd there, reached an all-time low, which is—I won't go into details. No. But um, at that point, I thought yes. this is this is over, right? You know. But you know, Sean made a comeback with Black Grape because they were amazing. Yes, yes. I was nothing to do with them, but there was still one of my favourite bands of the time. I'm still in touch with Kermit? Yeah, Kermit's great. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Yeah, he's working with Greg Wilson at the moment, I think.
1: So you were playing some amazing dance music at yeah. the hacienda. How come Factory didn't end up releasing...
3: Well, that, that, that was the the turning point for Factory, really, was Rob Gretton and I could see what what, what was coming. And and I was... I'd getting... You know, and Mark Kamen's got me a gig in um, Tokyo, and all of a sudden that... And, and I went to Tony and said, You know, look, I think DJ... Darling, DJs will never be stars.
1: <laughs> wow, Tony Wilson said that to Yeah, him. well, I,
3: he said two things. And look, he's always owned up to it. I'm not yeah. slagging him off now, he's no, gone. No, sure? uh, and and um, And I said, well, I don't know, you know. He said, no, no. And then Rob and I, we wanted to have a, a factory dance label.
2: Because
3: hmm. we'd already had a, a, a really good history of it with 52nd Street, Quando Quango, New Order, if you like, yeah. uh, Marcel King, um, all those kind of records. We'd done yeah. like the... The, uh, the, Fidel, the Fidel Fatty record, the Rye record that we put to light, how me and Mark Haymans did. Yeah. And 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 <laughs> Tony fam- Tony's famous quote is, "Darling, dance music will never happen." And uh, I said, "Well, do you mind if I go and do it on my own?" <laughs> and he said, "Darling, of course." And uh, we, and my managers at the time uh, with Kwando were Pete. Hadfield and Keith Blackhurst Yes So the three of us uh, We'd made it, I'd made this Tico record Yes uh, I just did it in a basement Of this guy's house uh, For no money just, I just Recorded it ten minutes Onto a cassette actually And no one had put it out So uh, They said Well look we're, we're managing this other band As well Called Hot House And we can't get arrested With them uh, And there's a really good singer In it Which was Heather Yes So we set up the label Heather Small presumably. Heather Small yes. Yeah And we set up the label And, and they were the first two releases but and, we, almost and we had an the, office in Islington
1: But the label was born a little bit Out of necessity
3: then Yeah totally Because you
1: needed to find a way To get these records totally out So we said we'll do it
3: ourselves Other people wouldn't all, it. all the support for Tico The support for Tico came from Stu Allen in Manchester Who had a show on Piccadilly or yes. whatever it was called yeah then. yeah and he had this Sunday night show and it and he just kept playing the whole ten minutes of this tape which was fantastic for us and down here the coal cuts yeah guys okay. had were on kiss which was a pirate yep. yes of course and and Norman Jay mm. and they played on, and it was I remember because I had to go to it to do an interview on Sunday and it was on a tower block I think that would be in East London at the top of a tower block yeah. and um and it became quite a big underground record down yes. here in London which yeah, was quite yeah. you know for me was quite weird. <laughs> well we'll talk
1: we'll talk a bit more about right. that the 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 transition and the way that, that London got Kind of house music and transitioned out of what went before. Because I'm going to ask you about, I'm going to ask about you about when you you came to London and played at the Astoria, which is quite interesting. But yeah, let's let's listen to T Coy um, and Carino.
2: Trailblazers, Mike Pickering.
0: and Carino on Trailblazers and uh, we're with Mike Pickering and so this
3: is this is the first deconstruction record right yeah that's it yeah and, um we, we, only, we only pressed a thousand and um we, we put them in like a you know brown paper bag that you used to get like from the shops and it's <laughs> yeah. Carino written on which is now a collector's piece i would imagine and as i said you know it got played on, on it only used to get played really on ultra specialist shows or pirate radio which was a lot in London and I this guess, was a
0: total cottage industry this yeah. was, this was yeah. before
3: BMG and before No, we, we just little, sat just in a little room in Islington and, and mailed them all out it yeah, took them all down the post office. And, <laughs> and
1: something that I want to sort of touch on is that house music didn't just sort of instantly explode in London and everything was great because I remember there was a. Well,
3: that was 1987. That's early '87. It's not '88. that's So before acid. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah.
1: So I'm, I'm, I'm remembering a time when you first. Was it your first gig in London when no, you came and
3: DJ at the Astoria? Yeah, it's funny, really, because you see. Even before the ecstasy thing happened, we were on a Friday night, I was playing house for over a year. It started with stuff like, that kind of was a slightly New York based, like Jump Back, Dar Braxton, but then you'd get stuff like Colonel Abrahams and yep. J.M. Silk and Chicago stuff. Yeah. And a lot of the guys that were coming to the, kids that were coming to the Hacienda who used to be into Acid uh, acid House, Northern Soul, yes. were really digging it because it was four to the floor again. Yeah. Mm obviously it wasn't 3 minutes <laughs> they needed a bit more stamina but um so we were already playing all that stuff and it was really going down well and and yeah the the incident you're talking about there's a guy who had a club in London uh, Simon Golf called Fever which is and, a great club
1: and he was my um my boss at right. my first proper entry point into the industry so secret promotions and I think that was when we met Yeah, that's right We worked on the North compilation North album, compilation, yeah So Simon, yes, yeah. so Did Simon Simon get you down to play well, the Well, we,
3: you know, Simon was one of the first persons from London who saw what was happening at the house and he suggested that we did a, a swap So they came first to us and uh, had this night where uh, Simon and I DJ'd and then we did the same at the Astoria, which I think was very late, 1987. Yeah, could be. And uh, I came on, and and um, I was DJing away, and I remember playing Strings of Life, which was already the release, and Strings of Life, Derek May. And I could hear this, like, rumble. <laughs> and I looked up, and everyone was still with their arms folded, booing me. Whoa! Uh, and I was like, oh, Oh, and then this, <laughs> this guy slipped me this... Uh, no, you know people. You remember, people used to slip your notes with requests. Yeah, because yeah. th- I should explain. In London at that time, um, rare groove was king. Yeah, so rare it was groove. a lot slower and funkier, and and you know and and, um, and he pu- he put. Why are you playing this? I wish I'd have kept it. Yeah. Oh. Why are you playing this Chicago homo music when you could be playing the real rare groove? I was oh like, oh my
0: God. Being a Mancunian, be we have
3: a real awkward streak. And I was like, right. <laughs> <laughs> Up went the BPM, on went all the house I could find. Yeah. And I literally emptied the place. And then roll on to June. So six months later, Nicky Holloway said, I've got this night at the Historia called the trip. And I played the same, more or less the same records with people absolutely swinging from the rafters. But, but Go back
0: to that moment. This is an interesting uh, moment. You, and you say you, that you literally cleared the floor. Yeah, I cleared I the floor. I bet club. you, I bet you, there was one or two people in there that, that that might have just gone, oh my God, and they were just like alone on the dance floor. They're just going, <laughs> I like thank it. you. I, I remember when I first played drum and bass in Ibiza. I was the first person to ever play drum and bass in Ibiza. And, and I pretty it? much cleared Manumission main room. But but there was a a, a, ph- a phalanx of people left there that were doing Islamic kowtows to me wow. and just going, "Thank you, thank you so much." I don't know what this is. I remember this Spanish guy going, "I don't know what this is, but it's brilliant." Thank you so much. There must have been no. So, you know what? I don't think somebody. there was. Really, you <laughs> actually literally. I think I made it. A,
3: I think I made it out the back door. Yeah, <laughs> at the Astoria. Yeah,
1: and that—that's the kind of thing that people sometimes don't realise. They—they think, "Oh, just house music comes along and it exploded and everything great." But there was a,
3: you know, there was a. Oh yeah, there was a. A good, yeah. Where, yeah. What like, exploded it in the rest of the country and London included was ecstasy. Mm. That's what changed it all. Yes. You know, uh, up to that point, we were playing house music to people who weren't taking ecstasy, mm. and that was, I think, the main difference.
1: Yeah, and then we got into that. That's a whole phase. fashion thing. Yes, know. where like the whole country. Mm. Got you know hit hit, hit a, a similar understanding. Well, when, it, when it hit the,
3: uh, I always say when it hit the hacienda because it was a very long club. It was like a Mexican wave over three weeks, <laughs> right? that <laughs> lasted three weeks of the whole. People and the way they dressed and the way they danced changed. Yes. You could see it. Oh, up that, that, oh, there they're doing it. Oh, under the balcony and down to here. Oh, in front of the DJ booth, and that was it. So, Bar takings <laughs> went down. Bar takings went down. Little fish, big fish, the cows, noise went, went box up. The went up. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Yeah. No, it, yeah. Wow. So so the deconstruction then is up. It's rolling. Yeah, we you're, start... you're playing all these amazing records at well, the end. Well,
3: what was happening was I was playing these records. Everyone's going absolutely... And it was different in those days as well because he had no internet. He didn't have the specialist uh, show. Well, actually, Jeff Young had his show, didn't he? And then, uh, yeah, but it, but it was limited. But it was good. very limited. And um, so you could build a record at your own club. The other difference was, in a world now of guest DJs, and I'm, I'm one of them, all of us had our own nights. That's how we grew up. Yeah. Oki had uh, Spectrum... Uh, Whether yeah. um, I had Boyzone, yeah, uh, I had the Hacienda. You know, yes. you built up your night, and and you know, I, I didn't even used to take holidays because I didn't want to miss doing it. You know, and um, so I'm doing a night. I know my crowd, and I'm if I'm getting a record, I'm thinking I can't wait to play this tonight. Yeah, you know, I've just picked this up. This is amazing. So anyway, one fr- one Friday night, I'm I'm playing, and I used to play stuff if people brought in, I'd have a quick listen. Yeah, I'll play that this Italian guy comes in with a, I, don't, I can't remember if it was on a cassette I think it might have been on a cassette and he went will you play this and I was like I'll have a listen and, I'll, I'll, and it's black box right on time and I'm like wait a minute rewind wait a minute rewind <laughs> so, wait a minute I said Jesus Christ this is amazing so it um, comes back knocking. Him. Uh, you're going to play it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to play it at 12 o'clock because that was like peak, peak time.
0: time. And was that Italian guy Daniele Devoli? Yeah, Dan- yeah Dan- <laughs>
2: oh, <laughs> left him.
3: And, I uh, love that guy. And um, so I play it. And the play, the, you know, there was a door at the back of the, and it. And it's like, bang, bang, bang. What's that? What's that? <laughs> you know, people. So Man. I'm like, oh my God, you know. So uh, he'd gone by the time the night had finished. I've got this. The next morning, I rang Pete Adfield and I went, Pete, I played this record last night and I've got a feeling. Yeah. It's just the biggest record I've I've heard in years. Yeah. It's massive. He went, it's not Italian, is it? (laughs) I said, yeah, yeah. He went, all right. Yeah, I've got it too. They came in the office on Friday morning in Islington. I said, Pete, we've got to sign it. He went, I agree with you. So I think that was like Saturday morning and I think we signed it on a Tuesday but the funny thing about it, of course, was Danielle and the boys, are, it's not a sample. I'm like, Pete, that's Lolita Holloway. Mm. No, 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 it, it's not, it's not. Believe me, it, no, Danielle, that is Lolita Holloway. <laughs> so we got, to, we got to put it out. The next thing, we've got Lolita Holloway and, and everyone from South Soul, everyone onto us, you know. Radio 1 picked up on it. Yeah, 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 yeah. We actually put out the. Um, we, but the funny story is, we had to re record it straight away. And we got Heather to do it. She flew out to. I think they were from Medina in Italy.
0: That's Heather Small. Heather
3: Small sings on Black Box, Good right? On time. <laughs> and, when,
1: and if we if we play it, Good when God. you hear oh, yeah, it, knowing that course, you'll yeah. you'll yeah. you'll pick up on it more. Now oh, I remember,
3: um, you know, and and we did a deal with the great thing was Dan Hartman wrote it, and we sent the cassette to Dan Hartman, and he said, "I love it. You can have fifty percent." He was <laughs> wonderful about it, and um, Fantastic. instead of taking it all, and and yeah, and, and the rest is history. It was one of the biggest dance records of all time, but it was a big drama, wasn't it? At the time, oh. and I,
1: I and then, actually I sat next to Lillette Holloway on a bus going to one of these
3: raves, you know, like the artist. She said um, she rang us up going, "Where's that black bitch singing my song
1: on, the, <laughs> on top of the cops? Yeah, Holloway. and basically, <laughs> basically, she said the same thing to me when yeah. I sat next to her on this bus. She was, she, you know, she was literally. Yeah. But, sort of, you know crying
3: but and stuff that. Was... you see she owed Southall loads of money right so they said to us now don't worry about it; just pay, pay us, us. Yes. and you don't mess with those guys those Southall guys right, they're right, New Yorkers right. through and through you know what I mean right. so it, yeah that was all going on we just took We because we always used to love slogans so we took full pages in all the music papers with who sings who cares Black Box Ride on Time Deconstruction.
1: <laughs> yeah, you had some great slogans yeah, going. Yeah. I like that. I've still got that T-shirt that says, uh, Destroy All Melody. Yeah, Bomb the Past. <laughs> yeah. Bomb the Past!
0: <laughs> yeah, Dan- yeah, yeah, yeah. Pete feel loved him. Bless him. Yeah. Daniele Davoli, I have a special soft spot in my heart because he taught me one of my most valuable life lessons and it's nothing to do with music. He came to lunch one day and I... And I, lo- I because he's italian I, yeah. I just thought i'm gonna make pasta for him i'm that confident you know i'm gonna yeah. make you a pasta and i made him a really good pasta but but as soon as i, I because it's sort of like i had been taught to do this from growing up in the 70s you know my mum did it i put a bit uh, i was about to put oil in the pasta water he goes no 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 no, no, no. <laughs> and then i went what, what 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 he goes don't put oil in the pasta water and I go, "Why? It's to keep the-? He said, No, 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 don't tell me this shit about keeping it separate." This is just a 90s. He went on this rant about how in the 1970s, maybe somebody like Fanny Craddock or the 60s said, "Put oil in your pasta water." No Italian in the history of the world has ever Really? put oil in pasta water and Daniele, bless him, he said, "Think about it." He said, w- "Think about. He said, "The whole point of pasta is to unite the pasta with the sauce. True. If you put a layer of oil on the pasta, you're you're putting a layer you're putting a, a, a an Impermeable layer between the two—it's absolutely insane. I mean, literally the only Italians that have ever done it were ones that were sectioned under the Italian Mental Health Act. So, uh, so uh, with with that image, let's let's hear Danielle's finest moments.
2: Trailblazers, Mike Pickering.
0: Want to hear more of the music? Don't
1: forget you can listen to the tracks in full by heading over to deezer.com where you'll
0: also find special Trailblazers playlists. Deezer, Deezer. Originals Trailblazers. So uh, I guess this is our entry point into end people now. Yeah. Um, this is uh, so you were you were you were involved but then there was a way for you to get even deeper involved well, which is to actually be a, to actually be. Well, a at the time I
3: was doing um, lots and lots, loads of remixes, and Graham Park and I was like uh, become my uh, DJ partner at the Hacienda. We were doing loads, but it was kind of a bit soul destroying because you'd get I don't know some record and you'd pr- probably take a couple of pieces of the the vocal, a tiny little bit, and then do do a whole new dance track, and I was like, yeah. it's kind of and. You, you handed it in. Never heard back from the record company. No, no thanks. And at this time, I was writing songs. I began to write. I thought, I can write songs. I can do it. And I'd done a couple of demos. Funnily enough, I did this demo in Stockport in Strawberry. And I had um, Lisa Stansfield and, and uh, what, what were they called? Blue Zone, which was the brass section, mm. uh, doing backing vocals and everything. And Lisa said to me... Yeah, these are really good songs You should write songs You know Because I've been So into tracks Yes And Pete Had people heard of me He said Yeah w- We should do something here By this time We'd signed Deconstruction To uh, Well not We have not signed it to it But we'd, we'd Yeah We'd signed to uh, RCA BMG
1: Yeah Had a load More hits Yeah probably. We'd had
3: loads K-Class we'd K-Class Enjoy yeah, enjoy so one of the said, other early... You had Kylie at one point, yeah. I remember. Felix. Yeah, Felix, Felix was Felix, don't you want... Uh, Kylie Minogue, yeah. Although, that was... Kind, later. Yeah, that That's was a just, bit later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we had loads of hits, hit after hit, for a year or two, a couple of years. And, of course, all the Italian stuff. We had loads of Italian... Yes. Uh, ...hits. Um, and... Um, can't remember
1: what. So it's Pete, yeah, Pete was heard. Oh some yeah, some so, people demo. So he music, said, "Well, so. why don't you
3: do like um, an album, a bit like Jazzy did with Soul Soul, where you have different vocalists and different?" And right. I was like, "Yeah, great. I'd love to do that." But I'd seen Heather. Mm sing uh, with Hothouse they actually supported Barry White at the Albert Hall huh. and I went with Martin Fry again, Martin pops up and, and I was going that girl's amazing but she, was, she had so much stage fright that she was just looking at the floor, it is a tough place to play to be honest, I said like, I don't care her voice is amazing and I remember we went out one night with Pete and Keith and I said to her, I want her I've got some songs I want mm-hmm. to write for you. she was like yeah great because they were, I think they weren't getting on and, uh, and I wrote How Can I Love You More and got her to do the vocal on it. Did you write that on your own? Or? Yeah, I wrote it on my own. I and used to write everything. Um, melody and lyric. Along. Just yeah. both, and both. Would
1: melody and lyric come at the same time? Or would you have like a melody in your head and then later you'd fit a lyric to For it? For that,
3: or? I had the melody, the words, because the words were always really important to me. And then I had this riff that uh, is from an old Bruce Springsteen. Track a slow Bruce Springsteen track, which I can't remember. I think it's nice. Racing in the Street. Da, 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 hmm. da. And it, that's why it goes. So I had those two things. That's like, and I had a you know like a Dictor pocket dictaphone yeah. recorder and put them down. And Pete introduced me. I said, I need some. I need someone who's a really good musician to help me with all this. And he he introduced me to Paul Hurd, who was his one a really good friend of his. And yes. Paul and I immediately hit it off. Great. Um, Paul lived in Hackney so I used to come down and sleep on the studio floor in Hackney yeah. in his house yeah. um, and we had a great time and um, and then yeah Heather came in and we did a couple of tracks Martin did a track can't remember what that was called and yeah did a few different vocalists
1: so, so you sort of for on the, for the M People project was it generally you coming up with melody and lyric
3: and just yeah. going
1: hey Paul now I've got this melody and this lyric yeah
3: obviously down the line or we worked work to more, to more together f- no I was kind of the ideas man yep. so I'd come with me record box and I'd go oh, I really love this Something beat like and I like this. this and yeah a bit like this and I've yes. got I've got this uh, these lyrics and this and I, I'd, I'd, I'd have them sung into a it and was quite you- weird really I remember um Search for the Hero, which is one of the biggest ones, I the 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 chorus, I had it sang whole lyrically too, into this dictaphone. And uh the verses, there were just there was just twice as many lines as the and Paul was like, you know what? It's this is absolutely amazing, but there's there's too many lines. If you take that line out and that line and it's basically every other line. Is what you used. Yeah. So you yeah.
1: edited it down and yeah. it became
3: yeah, yeah, so yeah, we um, were totally self contained. Right. We, um, um, which was perfect because of my uh, position at Deconstruction. We'd write, record, produce, mix. Basically, we'd go to the record company as the DAT player yeah. with, with the album. It's yeah. all ready, it's all in, and that's the first they ever heard of it. It was great. It was, uh, oh, I mean, if only life was like that. Uh, self A oh, and yeah. yeah, it was self A I mean, yeah.
1: you, you've you not mentioned so far in, in this conversation wanting to be famous. You know, you got well-known as a DJ, etc. Was it your... Was it something that you wanted? I
0: don't no, want to be a no, star. No, no, I, no, no, I want to be a pop star. You Don't have a big ego. Do no, you? So. I don't think
3: any. You know what? I don't think any of us did. Heather, Heather had terrible stage right. Right. You used to have to drag her on stage most nights. <laughs> I'm sure she won't mind me saying that. Yeah. You know, she had hypnotherapy and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Paul was just—he's so easygoing and Regular he just—he he just loves music. Right. And I was like, well, I'm. I kinda of prefer DJing really, but this is this is all a good laugh.
1: And then you And became, I did both. I used to yeah. DJ.
3: I mean, you know, the early gigs did the Hacienda and Renaissance in Mansfield. So we were part of that scene. We were loved in that scene. Yes. Um and then all of a sudden it started really taking off and I was like, This is great, I really love playing live. And I, you know, I obviously used to play live with Quando Kwango and stuff, but I was like, This is great and the crowds were really amazing. Yeah. And then I had a bit of a quest where I was like, dance music. Is so looked down on I mean I remember when we won the Mercury Prize the ferrari over us winning the Mercury Prize was quite amazing because they, they, the, the the media especially the broadsheet media I remember Kathleen Moran having a real go at us the next day in the paper because they seemed to think it was the property of like indie bands mm. you know and there was still that snobbery against what they t- describe as disco music you know yep. it was almost yep. like in America where they burnt all the records in the baseball field yes. you know what I mean it was still like that and I thought I want to take this to arenas and stadiums if possible and that so that was my quest.
1: That's interesting, you know, because that almost parallels the point where you're getting handed the note, mm. and you and it was somebody going like, "Oh, you shouldn't be playing house here," and you're like, "I'm going to play more house," here. Yeah. and then that's a, <laughs> that's the sort of update. It's like that, you're going,
3: you shouldn't be winning awards. I'm going to win shitloads. I think you'll find that's a mancunian <laughs> trait. <Yeah. laughs> but um, so that was yeah, that's what it was, and um, yeah, it was quite funny, really, you know. Into that was like the beginning of the nineties, so we had about ten year, nine ten years, and I got to the point in two thousand where I thought, "I've done it now. I don't. I'm not getting any buzz off this right. at all. and just walked away. Right. Yeah, it was quite weird, and 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 I still believe I have this theory that, um, this may be the odd ex- exception, but in all the big writing partnerships and big. They, they have a golden period and then they just, they're just okay after that. I mean, even like massive sellers, when you think of Elton John, maybe three fantastic albums. Mm-hmm. Bowie's an exception for me always, mm-hmm, although mm-hmm. he's had some real turkeys. Mm. Jagger and Richards, still mm-hmm. amazing, but how many albums did they have before? Now they keep putting out albums and they're not great. Mm, yeah. mm. There's a, always a golden period. So I thought, I've had my golden period. I, I, what I'm writing now is just going to be dead normal. I'm not really very good.
1: And did you exit from all a- aspects
3: yeah. then? Yeah, because walked out him.
1: And- right, right, and does- in a nice way, we're yeah. still friends. But is there any ongoing activity for? M people.
3: I think there was until recently, and then I right. saw the other week they did a gig and Heather announced it was the last time she was doing an M people gig. Right, so she's. I've ready not to got into the uh, the specifics I've not the specifics of that one yet, and, you, and it is like fifteen years ago. I don't yeah. really care. But and you, you were, were you cool
1: to sort of like look, carry carry on? You yeah, know, if you want to keep doing live or fine. No, but I'm just
3: I not love them be, to do that. You know, because of cause, course
1: it's in some cases the the pivotal guy doesn't want that to happen. It's like if I'm not going to be doing it. Well, you see, just, I was
3: very happy writing, producing, I, I'm not a virtuoso musician, so playing live, I played a bit of saxophone badly, yeah, um, bit of backing vocals badly, um, <laughs> and basically had a great time. Yes, but, but that wasn't my my forte. Was not the live shows, even though I was, on, I was on them all. That was Heather. Yes, Heather was amazing. Yes, my forte was writing and producing and mixing, and that's I was the happiest in the studio and yeah. connecting.
0: You know, you're yeah. w- w- there's a common thread with. People that we've met in this show, and in my life, who I respect a lot, and the Goldies and the Lavelles and these people, they're, they're, you're connectors. Yeah, And it, it, it's something that it comes from love and yeah. and, a, and an open it, heart, totally of it comes embracing from
3: the, of people. Well, James Lavelle and yeah, that, you know that was what James was all about. Getting a scene so he could connect people. That was that we did it at the hacienda with like-minded people. Yeah, with mean, the band. You know, it was. Put, it put people together for their lives and their careers, really. Great. Let, let's hear
1: a, a bit of uh, music from M People. What,
3: what have you... Well, I, the, I suppose the first big hit, the real breakthrough, was uh, How Can I Love You More, which is very close to my my heart because um, it, it was about my daughter when she was first born. But the great thing about it was, was that... Um, Sasha's remix he actually really, uh, remixed Someday we did a version of Someday CC yeah. C. C. Rogers and he, he remixed that and it didn't happen it was a little bit too early and I was like that's one of the best remixes I've ever heard in my life we're going to put out How Can I Love You More I want you to do it exactly and you know what Sasha's like I can't do that I'm not, I've already I went please Sasha please I begged him we were <laughs> like oh, no, please do the same for How Can I Love You More and he did and it You know, it was like top five hit.
2: Trailblazers.
0: People remixed by Sasha. Um, How can I love you more? And and I, I get a sense of uh, of a wheel turning full circle with this because that um, gorgeous melody that you, Mike Pickering, wrote and spilled into a dictaphone one hmm. one day, um, that could be a Motown melody, couldn't it? It's yeah. just
3: pure. That's just right back to your exactly. to your roots. That was what. That's what I was saying earlier about Mot- <coughs> Motown. Uh, when I when I realized I could write. I just based everything on Holland Dozier Holland and, and yeah. you know and uh yeah, I think that, that and those those words, that, How Can I Love You More is the nearest thing to a Motown thing
0: Yeah, because it's, it's, yeah. it's a combination of melody and just a really poignant sweet,
3: simple lyric that can just yeah. Yeah. that everybody can relate to I wrote that on top of the Arndale Centre in Manchester because I, <laughs> I lived in a flat on top of the Arndale <laughs> How romantic Ah, oh, I love
0: it <laughs> um, So, uh, So you, you know you did end people yeah. and then you and knowing when to walk away is, is a is a yeah. sp- is a good thing isn't it it's a strong I think it's a so, strong yeah. character trait and um, th- then you you immerse yourself you, you you were immersed in music and you um, you say you were a consultant at. you, you, you well, crossed no, over from artist to at to that point album,
3: when I so. walked away I was just DJing a little bit and um, I I retreat I bought a house in the south of France in the Languedoc in France and I thought oh great well I'm just going to sit around there now and uh, after a, a couple of months of drinking loads of wine and getting stoned I was like dear, I, 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 I'm not sure I should do this you know what I mean <laughs> it's not sustainable I'm also am re- <laughs> I like a cat on a hot team. I'm like someone who's always on the go and I'm yeah. like no no you can do it no no I can't yeah you can you know talking to myself so. yeah. I'll get a sky put in there no you can't have sky you know all that kind of stuff <laughs> the, the Catholic boy going no you can't yeah, and yeah, the rest yeah. of you going yes I can and, <laughs> and, and this guy Jed Doherty was um, head of uh BMG Records, and I'd known him for a long time. Another Man City fan, and um, he said uh, he, he, he had a house, you know, about half an hour away from it. And he came round, and he went, "Mate, I want you to come and work uh, for the record company." And I just started laughing. Man, I'm like, Are "You kidding I I can work for a record company." He said, well, you were Factory and Deacon. I went, it's slightly different than going into a corporate <laughs> record company, right? You know? Mm. And he, he's like, no, you should do. And I went, nah, nah, it's not for me. He said, well, listen, I'll leave you a few things uh, and have a listen. So after a few days, I'm like listening through. And there's most, I said, this is absolute rubbish. You know what I mean? <laughs> but in the middle of it was Process Beats by Kasabian, right? Wow. And, I put it on and I'm like whoa, what's this? You know, this is unbelievable. They've got to be Mancunian. And uh, so, I mean, he's very clever, Jed, for this. So I'm sure he knew. So I rang him up. I went, what's this band? Save him, what is it? He went, I thought you would like that one. He said, "Uh, I'm going to sign him on a a development deal, as he used to call it in that day. Mm. He said, I'm not sure about it. I went, it's brilliant. Um, So... Weren't they not called Casabian then? When they called something else, they were called. Uh, yeah.
0: Because my mate, I'm sure my mate Aston from the Freestylers got given oh. something by them, and it wasn't Casabian. It was before, way before all of this, and they were like being developed, mm. and that was the there was a sense of yeah. But then, to no, find that was that before,
3: I think no, I think when the, the, I think they were called Kasabian when they first came to BMG. Yeah. I'm not sure there but I and I can't remember the name. But there's a huge connection here. You know what I'm going to say because we are we are uh well we,
0: you know, we're by a fireside but that by a fireplace but that fireplace <laughs> is in a building that I used to work in and that I famously discovered their demo. In yeah. fact this song in the bin yeah. at XFM because yeah. XFM was going through one of his many you know different phases and that and that particular no, phase was we're not I've got playing a, any that
3: nobody played Kasabian. Except me. Except you. Hold, hold, yeah, hold on would... a
1: minute. Can you just tell me about the specifics of how you come to find something in a bin? Oh, okay.
0: Well, I've got to <laughs> I'm explain I'm interested that. in... Well, this is... Yeah, okay. So, XFM were like, we are not playing dance music at that time. We, yeah. we we're an indie rock station. And they refused to even play Galvanised by the Chemical Brothers that I remember right. came out of that, around about that time. Okay. And, you know, in every radio station, there's uh, a, a... When I say a bin, um, I don't mean the place that you put your, your, your half eaten sandwiches. There's like a...
3: <laughs> recycling. A,
0: a, yeah, it's recycling. Yeah. So it's all of the CDs that come in that people don't want this goes gold. into this big bin. Into, exactly. Uh, you know, like a big exactly. box. Okay. And because they weren't, nobody was playing dance music, that was gold for me, that bin. I'd come in... At that, that, that time, my show was on a Sunday, and I used to come in, and I used to trawl through that bin and just find stuff that... I hadn't been sent by pluggers that I didn't know, or bands that I didn't know, or there'd be wow. demos in there. There'd be, you know, there'd, there'd, there'd be lots of big releases from like Universal or whoever. Like by pluggers that I hadn't uh, didn't know that I existed, and I didn't know that they existed. Right. So I'd find I'd find quite a lot of good records out of that, huh. out of that bin. Okay. And one day, I found two pieces of white cardboard held together by two white cel- uh, two white right, rubber, yeah. rubber bands, and mm. just a silver CDR with a handwritten word Kasabian mm. on there, and mm. it had processed beats yeah. on it. Uh-huh. And it just totally blew me away because I thought this is oh my God, this is like a distillation of everything that I love in about the last ten years of, of fifteen years of, of music, of like it's got a little bit of Primal Scream, it's got a little bit of Stone Roses and a bit of Happy Mondays. It's yeah. it's and it's fused it all together yeah, and, later, and, and, and
3: also I mean the other stuff that was on the CD is there's bits of Prodigy really Prodigy and it was like Prodigy meets rock, like a rock band yeah mm. yeah mm. Um yeah I mean they couldn't get arrested no um, and they, it was all done by it. the movement which was like the, the fans that were yeah. built up wasn't it that's right yeah, and I was one of messages. them I was yeah.
0: you know member number two of something of the movement we, we
3: didn't get played on um, Radio 1 either we no didn't they didn't any get any play at all uh, Enemy hated them yeah, everyone hated them. It was—I yeah. was literally just like—I I thought I was going mad. They sold out two uh, uh, Alexandra Palaces in London, and then everyone thought, "Ooh, ooh, we better play these." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, it well, that was, was club foot that it, they started playing. That was the 5th single. Re- yeah, and,
0: and that was re-released, wasn't that it? Re-released. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, I remember squaring up to the then head of music at, at XFM, just going, "What is your prop?" After feeding back to him for a year and a half. Well, know, that, and, and then
3: when they finally did get played by some of the, the those. Radio says to Colin Casabian.
0: Yeah, I it's go, even worse. I had to go above <laughs> his head. I had to go. I had an an audible and visible argument in the in the production office, and then and he said, "Okay, well, maybe I know. I, I hate them, and I said, you've got to separate your personal yeah, you feelings out of this. Yeah, what's the of I, it was a good and." Yeah. and um, it was just so... And he goes, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll play the next one, which was LSF, Lost Souls Forever. Yeah. And um, that came out duly ignored, ignored completely yeah. ignored. So I just went above his head to the I boss. I love the
3: fact that, you know, that the time when, when I first knew them, they were all living together in this farmhouse in Leicester. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And um, it was so cold that they all slept in the clothes in sleeping bags in the same bed
0: uh, oh yeah huddled <laughs> around a
3: candle and Kasabian is actually Linda Kasabian yes. who is Charles Manson's getaway driver yeah oh, nice lads right,
2: yeah, yeah. Trailblazers <laughs> Mike Pickering
0: Process Beats by Kasabian and we're on Trailblazers with Mike Pickering um, who uh, who signed Kasabian and who uh, a and them right now. Um, ten, ten glorious years. Yeah, they've done some. Amazing, really, to, to nobody well, uh, getting that. The,
3: the funny thing was, uh, not last year, the year before was actually ten, so it's actually eleven now, I think. But um, their first uh, Glastonbury there was ten years... Um, they did the 11 o'clock opening spot. And we that's got, right, yeah. We, and that's when we had the movement. And my daughter, who was only about 13 then, um, uh, we said, right, we've got we had all these flags. You remember with the Ultra? Yes. The, and uh, got at, one. the night before, we went and stuck them outside all the tents on poles. So that, it was <laughs> yes. great. The next morning, there was thousands of people waving these um, Kasabian flags. Yeah, it was great. Wicked. And then um, 10 years later they headlined the pyramid stage so it was yeah. like they'd, they'd really gone the full circle really, really? no that's just, that's just fantastic and so another um, an amazing
0: string to your bow we, we touched on him earlier is is Calvin Harris yeah um another connection because I've got so much love for that man yeah. not only because he said the nicest thing that anyone's ever said about me on Twitter but I, I actually genuinely love his music and I, I was you know back when you talk about people not giving a toss about an act and you're trying to break them and mm. but nobody gave a toss right no, at the beginning not at all. About, with Calvin and you had those brilliant posters all around london where i was with <laughs> fly eye with, yeah the fly eye the, with those great yeah. um sunglasses and, and they didn't even have a, no. an, a a logo or anything it was just that picture yeah. but i knew what it was because i'd been sent the promo and i'd be, you know was supporting it and calvin's I,
3: a, a wonderful uh he, he really understands exactly what it takes to be a musician and to be a an artist and he's he's a, he's better than any uh, marketing department in any record company. He's just got it. He just knows. You and, know. and has he always had? Always, had that? always. Right. So did he come up with that? Yeah. M- that, uh, brilliant. Yeah. I thought that that must
0: been some brilliant head the of marketing. The funny thing is, I, he actually
3: I, made a pair. Ah. <laughs> he got a pair of sunglasses, and uh, I think he's bubble wrap, and then painted the bits of bubble wrap. You know, so he stuck the the thing over the, yeah. over the where the lens would be, and then. Silver paint oh, on the brilliant. bubble wrap. Brilliant. I think I've got him somewhere.
1: So, <laughs> so in your in your label role, there is, is a lot of it is supporting Calvin in what he wants to do, rather than the label going, "Hey, w- you know."
3: Oh yeah. I mean, listen. There's one massive moment in Calvin's career after the first album was they were talking about dropping him, um, and I uh, sat in front of all the in front of, like, the, the bosses and the finance guys, which I don't normally do, because I, I kind of got a whiff of this, and uh went and luckily, a few days earlier, the, the, one of the finance guys had come up to me and went, this Calvin Harris that you've got, I went, yeah, he went do you know he's the um, uh, second highest PPL earner behind Lily Allen this year, and PPL for, for listeners who don't know, he's uh, you know for so if you're on an advert or if you're on you know I don't know chocolate bars or yeah. cars or whatever and uh, I thought oh thank god for that so I went in this meeting and they were like well he's only sold you know I don't know 40,000 albums or whatever and da-de-da-de-da and some marketing person said yeah and the last two singles didn't get playlisted at Radio 1 you're like Ugh. so I said yeah but you should look at in the modern world how artists are going It is his PPL earnings and yeah. luckily Jed Doty went why what are they and then the, t- the finance guy said well yeah I think that's great well you can do another album and of course the next album started with I'm Not Alone which was a number one smash yes um, mm. and, and he was off then when that, I heard that but, but I, it was in the balance in the balance yeah in the balance but that that's what I think as an A&R man if you, lo- if you only sign things you love and you have that faith and then you you know you put your neck on the line yeah I was saying to him look get rid of him get rid of me you know Right, so, that, and that
0: second album was him properly hitting his stride. Oh, and right I, I, I'm there. on record as saying that that is for me one of the best pop records that's ever been made. I yeah. just think it's absolutely, absolutely
3: fantastic. Yeah. When I first record. heard, I'm not Every alone. Every single track. I went out to his studio at the time, which is in um, North London, and, and um, he played it me, and I was nearly crying. I was like, "It's just incredible. That's just an incredible smash hit." And you know, he's he was quite sure. Of me. He's, like, oh, really? It's like yeah, it's amazing. And I came back, and I went to uh, Columbia Records and as um, uh, Sam Potts, who's the <clears throat> radio plugger. And I went, Sam, come in this room here, quick.
1: Yeah.
3: Played it him, and he just because Sam's like a, he, he does DJ and stuff, and he, he loved Calvin. He just went, Oh my god, that's just huge. You know, it was such a great feeling that he yeah. kind of stood up to the plate. And there was there was four big smashes off that.
1: How much uh, do the do the demos sort of change based around your input? Do you find yourself? It's good, but
3: well, it could, doesn't c- it doesn't demo. Yeah, no, it, so it's work in progress. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, this look with, with any act that I a and I always say to him, I'm here. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm hardly ever going to step in but I've made lots of records and I'm here. And um, with it works best with Kasabian and Calvin. It works, a li- it works also with the Ting Tings because I signed them. But um, there's times when all of a sudden they'll just say, I'm really stuck on this mm. arrangement or something. And then, you know, that, that's, that's, because if you're a solo artist, it's so difficult. And you know, Sergio does all the Sabian stuff. So it's the same thing with him. I mean, sometimes you need to walk outside it. And if you've got someone like me who's got that experience and go, well, you know, cut that bridge there and put that verse yeah, there. Yeah, just fresh ears, it's isn't it? It's fresh. It's just fresh ears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I never go, oh, you should do this or you should do that. No. I'd, sometimes with Carl, I was like, you should sing a bit more because I really love Feel So Close. Yes. <laughs> and so, And he has got a good voice, but he hates his voice. So. And I have to put my hands up. When I heard Bounce, which is, um, what's her name? Um, oh. Uh, uh, Kelis. Kelis, yes, of course. I said, oh, how much vocals? you not singing any. I could see his was crestfallen, and I have to hold my hands up and say I was completely wrong. At that moment, because I wanted him to sing, yeah, yeah.
0: And I, I loved not not just him singing, but you say good voice. But he used to do really interesting things. Like there was this one brilliant record on that on that second album. It just started. Oh yeah, those interludes. And I went what. What is that noise that you've got on uh, there? Because that, that is, there's definitely not a preset. That noise. He goes, I know that was my voice. I yeah, just, he does. I just, I used my voice and then put it through a processor, and I made that noise. And that's one of my favorite records on that. You see, uh, when, when, that, I, when
3: uh, he first, when I first met him, he he lived in Dumfries, and I think he, he used to uh, stack the shelves either at M&S or one of the big supermarkets. Yes. And uh, when he was younger, growing up, he's was, he was telling me, and his mum's told me that. He he, he he kind of put together a computer, his own computer, to do music on. <laughs> he's a bit of a buffin, right? Really. Like a self built. Yeah, self built yeah, out of old bits yeah. and stuff like that. So he completely understands Sonic, electronic Sonic. He yeah. just knows the back he end because he's built it. He knows everything about it yeah. he's built it. And um, yeah, those interludes that he, put, he, he puts on his albums are amazing. Absolutely amazing, yeah.
2: Trailblazers. If I see a light flashing, with this river, I'm coming home?
0: brilliant pop record and he um yeah. he just he purloined that sound out of trance <laughs> which was so huge and yeah. the, and this was and this was a, a interesting sort of time for him because he i think he suddenly then realized that you know it wasn't being in a in the front man of a band of a big band that mm. was going to be the future for him well we did a gig the at world.
3: Um, the warehouse project in manchester one of his first ever gigs i was doing because i was very involved with the warehouse project and um New Year's Eve on the first ever New Year's Eve that they had at Boddington's um, brewery and he went on at midnight and then I played after and uh, he stood watching me DJing I think that was a turning point actually he went oh that's amazing because yeah. <laughs> yeah. he, he, you know, he, he didn't really know the DJ kind of scenario from then
0: yeah because I saw him in, you know, in, in, in the band uh, well, he you hated know, that and he, yeah he oh, did like it. It. And I, I remember him saying to me off mic sort of thing like, I want to be getter you know, I want to. I want to yeah. do that. Yeah. I want to. Very I, much. I, I, so. I don't want to be taking a whole band on the road yeah. and, and paying for all of that. No. I, could, I could just do it myself, and I can be in control of it. Not in a control freaky way, but you know, it was very calculated. They
1: mostly are, though, aren't they? Yeah. These very successful artists. N- number one, I imagine he must have a
3: tremendous work ethic. Yeah, totally. He, he, he's, he's never had a holiday ever. Right. Wow. And, but there's Don't another. Like there's, a, there's, a, there's an artistic parallel
0: with what I was saying earlier about them. Is the Motown thing? Because didn't he start off as like a, a soul, like R and B kind of writer? Yeah. He and and though the you know that melody that we just heard, he that's came out to
3: London once before and and tried that and then um, went home with his tail between his legs yeah. back to Dumfries. Yeah. But but, <laughs> but he was there, very young then, you know.
0: But he's got that. Sensibility that, that yeah. the Motown writers had—the people that you are so beloved
3: of—you—it's very, of very cool as well. I mean, like the latest single when it when I first heard that, I was like oh, thank God for that because you know the EDM thing is so big in America and it's so mm. different. And he lives in America now, and it's so different from what we're we're into in Europe. Yeah, and uh, he he has now decided you know that he's going to distance himself as far as he can from all that, mm. and he's making made a record that's. Believe it or not, it's actually sold more than the 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 last few big hits. Yeah, sold more than Summer or Blame or any of those. We we can't talk about Calvin Harris and sales without mentioning that he beat Michael Jackson. He did with with this top ten hits. The amount of top top five actually top five hits. Yeah, top ten. He had seven or eight on the run. Yeah, just astonishing. Absolutely amazing. Mm. Mm. he said even more but obviously that was from one album yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
0: Mm. I've I've got so I've got all the time in the world for not yeah. I, I went here I, I've, I've been many positions where I've, you know he'll be slagged off within earshot and I won't have it
3: the only thing I can't do is look at him in his underpants on the billboards <laughs> <laughs> oh yes but he knows that yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not other man you know what I mean yeah. I'm like oh whoa 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 <laughs> too oh. much information
0: <laughs> so um oh I knew this was going to be one of my favourites and I knew that we were going to want to talk to you a lot longer than we've got. Um so we we've, we've got t- t- to the end of this really and, and we've got to um
3: the fire's going out anyway. Yeah. The fire's going out we are running <laughs> out of wood. Um so so
0: it's at this point that I always I ask the same question to uh, to every guest which is that if aliens landed and wanted and they were malevolent and they they wanted to raise this planet to the ground for whatever reason to make way for a galactic superhighway and they asked for a a reason not to do that because it's between us and the moon yeah uh so what would you
3: give them as the as the 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 tune that would save humanity okay well you know having listened to and loved so many records when i when i when the Question was put to me. It's got to be the first one that springs to mind, and and it's also the record that we used to play as the the encore in the hacienda every Friday night, and that's um, "Some Day" by C.C. Rogers. Um, just a beautiful, beautiful record.
0: And beyond that, what 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 is it? Why does it affect well, you so much? It,
3: you know, it was adapted from a Martin Luther King speech. Oh. A lot of it, part parts of it. And uh, I just think it's a beautiful, it's Marshall Jefferson's finest moment.
2: Trailblazers, Mike Pickering.
0: It's our trailblazer, Mike Pickering's One More Tune, the tune to uh, to save humanity. Um, so, Mike, it's been an a absolute uh, a pleasure to,
3: to talk no, to I've you. No, I've had a great time. Um,
0: me too. I love talking. Yeah well, yeah, well, you'll have to do another one, Mike
3: Pickering part <laughs> yeah. two, won't we? It's nothing like a, a sherry round the fire. Exactly. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess, you know, what, what does the, the immediate future hold for you? Well... Uh, I'm really into my DJing at the moment, so I'm playing out quite a lot. Um, I just think... I think a lot of the, the, the stuff that's being released at the moment is very... It's almost like it's come full circle from yeah. early 90s, late 80s. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Sorry we didn't
0: have... Because you love talking so much, we couldn't play the new Green Velvet one. I know. I know no, Technasia
3: you know, versus Green Velvet. we both Sugar. I love that record. <laughs> yes. I love that record. Um, so I'm DJing a lot. Um, we've got, obviously... Uh, in full flow with Calvin we've got uh, we're just mm-hmm. working we've just got another song ready nearly just need a certain vocalist to vocal it and um, <laughs> yeah Casabian album uh, it's just starting meeting Surge tomorrow sending so, my love yeah will do so um, and I've got a new act Millie Pie, who I'm very excited about who are just recording her record so uh, yeah you will continue
0: being a part of the fabric <laughs> of, uh, of great British music. Mike Pickering, thank you so much thank for you. joining Thank yeah, you both.
3: Thank you.
2: Deezer
0: Originals.
2: Trailblazers.
0: Thanks for your ears. We hope you enjoyed Trailblazers. Uh, we love your feedback. So if you want to get in touch with either of us, you can reach out to me via Twitter at Eddie TM. That's E-double-D-Y-T-M. Or you can reach out to myself, Nick Hawkes,
1: N-I-C-K-H-A-L-K-E-S on uh, Twitter or Facebook. And remember, we've just given you a taste of the, the great music that uh, shaped the journey of our special guest today. Uh, if you want to hear music in full, head over to Deezer.com and you you can find special Trailblazers playlists that Eddie and I put together
0: and some special stuff from our guests. And bear in mind that if you enjoyed this stuff on Trailblazers, you'll definitely enjoy the curated playlists that happen on Deezer. Just
1: download the app for
0: free and search for Trailblazers or head to the dance section where you'll find a playlist for just about any genre you can think of in dance.
2: Trail Blazers.
0: Thanks so much to Mike Pickering for joining us. And it's Danny Rampling next time. Looking forward to that.
2: Deezer
1: Originals.